Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Hunt and Fish Bums podcast. On today's episode, we are doing it a little different. We're live, no longer over the phone. We are in State College, Pennsylvania. Actually, this is probably considered Belfont. Is it Belfont or just State College? I think it's a Belfont address, but closer to State College. Closer to State College. So we're just going to call it State College. We're at Penn State, fishing Spring Creek, just like we did. Oh, man, 20 years ago in college, except uh, now the trips are once a year instead of uh, once a day. A little bit tougher these days with kids and wife and everything going on. But uh, we had a pretty good day. Got here, had one night to uh, fish, got in at 3 o'clock, and uh, had some sulfurs coming off. and Had a, uh, a pretty decent day of fishing. What do you think, Garrett? Yeah, it was a... Uh... Great day of fishing. It's my first day, I guess what you would call true Euro nymphing. Uh, I always use a strike indicator and just the old the old regular nymph style that I knew for the last fifteen years. And Bob talked me into he got a new leader for me. What's a leader called? It's just a regular. It's a regular leader, I guess. When we fish nymphs up until like you know. A month ago, I just started using these things a month ago. We would just, you know, Euro Nymph high or high stick, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I would stare at my leader. And when it would hesitate or pause, I would set the hook and, and, and try to fish. But now we just, it's the same leader. We just tie in what's called cider material, which is like on yours, I made it blaze orange and green. Uh, just easy to see so that when it does stop, it's much easier to see so that you can detect the strikes. but uh, So it doesn't specially float or anything. It's just called cider material where you can see it. Just simply to help you see okay. it. Because before that, I'd stare at my leader when it went into the water, and as soon as it would hesitate, I'd set the hook. So I'm literally doing nothing different. It's just with the cider material, I can see it a lot easier. But, you know, when we fish these shallow runs, like we're on Spring Creek here, there's some runs that are, you know, like a foot deep and, you know, maybe two foot deep. And so even though I have that cider on my leader, it's not making any bit of difference because it's like three foot, four foot above the water. At that point, I'm still staring at my leader like I used to right where it crosses the water. So, um, Yeah, because on this creek, we catch them literally two feet off the bank a lot of times. Yeah, and super shallow. thrown into six inches of water. And a lot of times, like with the strike indicators, I'll use them but I don't like to use them because I feel like the current on the surface, especially here where you got all of this rolling rock and, and uh, a lot of structure, that surface current is a lot faster in my opinion. And anytime I throw a strike indicator in this kind of current, I feel like it's pulling my nymphs up off the bottom and I'm not getting a good float. Um, in deeper pools, slower water, I got no problem throwing a strike indicator on because it looks like it's super slow and I don't, I don't have an issue with it impacting the drifts, but, uh, out here in this fast, shallow water, I, I, the last thing I want to do is put on a strike indicator, but, um, well, yeah, it's basically, and you picked it up. So what were you doing before? Cause it seems like you had like an aha moment today, like with the cider material and with your technique. So kind of what were you doing and what do you think switched it? Because I know you kind of light bulb went off and all of a sudden you went on a tear and caught like 10 fish in, in no time. 
Uh, yeah. Well, what happened? I hooked three fish, very small fish, real early. Just doing. I was trying to fish. We're gonna call it cider material for yeah. the podcast sake. I was trying to fish that cider material as a strike indicator. So I was leaving all that material in the water. So you're floating it. I was floating it, I on was the water floating like it in the water like a strike indicator. And I did catch a couple small fish, but um, you know, you never know if the fish aren't hitting or or how it's going. But anyhow, um when Bob finally came down and saw what I was doing, he's like, Whoa, 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 you're leaving way too much line in the water, too much slack. And he showed me how to pull the all that up out because at this point i'm from my fly line to my fly is probably nine feet yep yeah. probably yeah, nine right around nine, nine feet, feet a liter and i i'm not used to using that much and i didn't wasn't comfortable with it but i got a lot more comfortable with it tonight but he showed me how to like leave that up out of the water and just watch basically where your leader goes right into the water and uh yeah, once he showed me that, I hooked six or seven fish in an hour. Yeah, was, and, uh, and you had the right flies, and you're getting them down low. So I feel like, you know, when you when you said you hooked three fish the first half of the day, I bet you probably had more strikes. Oh than yeah, that. you just never detected never them saw because them. there's so much slack. When you have all that line on the water, and it's not taut from like your rod tip to the fly you're never going to see those subtle differences because when the fish takes the fly, all that slack has to like has to come out come yeah. out completely. But I was always afraid to keep it taut because I, I think we talked about this on the phone the other day. I was always afraid to keep it taut because I was always afraid of affecting the left to right drift of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. I, I never wanted to pull it towards me because I thought that would give it an unnatural drift if it's coming towards me. Yeah, you know, that that's a that's a good point and I think that's kind of the the fine balance is you want to keep it taut without impacting the flow. You know what I mean? So I'll like lead my flies without pulling my flies. So in my mind, that thing is free floating and I just took all the slack out from in front of the flies and that's it. I'm not impacting them, I'm not impeding them. They're going exactly wherever they're going to go. I just have all the slack out from there so that if a fish, cause, cause you know, we talked about this. You asked me this, actually, we have uh, my father-in-law is here. He'll be on the podcast. Um, and you guys both asked me this and we talked about it, about feeling the bite. And I don't feel 90% of the bites on the fish. Yeah, me either. Even with a strike indicator when I fish, I I never feel hardly any of them. Yeah, unless I'm fishing streamers or swinging flies. Like if there's oh, yeah. emergers and I'm trying to swing a fly or lift an emerger up when everything is taut downstream and a and a trout chases and hits it, I don't feel it. But I'm trying to keep everything taut so that if a fish does, you know, they're just, these flies are going right by them. They're just going to grab them. You know, they're not chasing them and hammering them. They're just going to grab them as they're drifting by. And all that's going to be is a subtle hesitation if anything, like in your line, and that's what you're looking for. And that's why I want to keep it taut. Because if you have a bunch of slack out there and it takes the fly, you're never going to see it. Like I, I see people fishing nymphs and they actually have their rod tip behind the flies. Well, if a fish takes that fly, you're going to have to take your rod tip all the way past the fish 
and to the other end, and that'll be about, you know, six seconds later. And by that time, he's already spit that fly. You're never even going to know. So, um, you know, for us here tonight, that was the, uh, I guess that was the big, the big learning from your end, I guess, is just taking that slack out because it was literally like a switch. All of a sudden, every time I looked up, it looked like you were fighting another fish. So yeah, definitely. was definitely not doing it correctly at the beginning, but yeah, my first, uh, trip with, I guess, true, true Euro nymphing. And, uh, I don't know what using a strike call indicator. I know I called, I called I Bob a couple weeks ago. I'm like, I want to try this high stick and Euro nymph and whatever. And he's like, that's what you do. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I use a strike indicator. And so what? That's yeah. still what you're doing. <laughs> you or know? AKA a bobber. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But uh, it's definitely, I think the big learning adjustment wasn't necessarily the way I was fishing. It was just what I was looking at. Because when you use a strike indicator, you can have slack in your line. And when there's a bump, the strike indicator shows it and you can set the hook even with a little bit of slack. When you're doing this true euro or high sticking, you can't have any slack at all because you're not going to see that, that the bump. Correct. So if you're fishing a strike indicator and you cast so that the strike indicator is below the flies, then yes, you can have all the slack outside of the strike indicator. Yeah. Well, you try something, a minimal slack. Yeah. But, if if yeah. something bumps it, though, you're still going to see that mm-hmm. bump. And that's, However, what I, that's what I, how I fished for the last 10 years. Yeah. If the strike indicator is upstream of your flies and something bumps it, you're not going to see shit. And that's kind of the same way of if you have slack in the line when you're Euro nymphing or high sticking, it can bump it. There's so much slack you're not going to have uh, an idea. Uh, and real quick, we got to take a we got to take a quick uh, second to thank our, our sponsors that aren't real sponsors. What is that beer you had that you said is amazing? Go ahead. This and tell is the called the uh, Profit, and I'm not even sure. I just picked it up at the. Uh... Connecticut Valley Brewing Company. That's who makes it. First one I ever had. Delicious. An Angel's Envy uh, that has slowly taken over as my favorite bourbon over Woodford Reserve. I can't quite commit yet to say that it is my new favorite, but uh, it's up there. What's your favorite, Bob? What's your bourbon of choice? Go ahead. Here, let me pass the mic. Well, my bourbon of choice is Blanton's. I love Blanton's, but I like Angel Envy also. But I like to mix it a little bit with some lemon and lime and jalapeno and make a mule. Delicious. The Kentucky Mule, or we will refer to it now as the State College Mule. So, Bob, you caught some fish today. What what do you think about this kind of fishing versus the... New Jersey stock trout kind of fishing, you know, what do you like? What do you dislike? Do you think it's any different? Let's, let's get your thoughts on the day. Wow. This is completely different. Um, I like the Polish nymphing technique. Oh, wait, wait, (laughs) you're going, because you're Polish, you're just going to go and you're going to change it from Euro nymphing straight to Polish nymphing. Let's, let's, Let's look it up because it's really Polish nymphing. If you like look it up, you'll see. It's Polish sniffing technique. And you're not using a bobber. And it's really different for me because following 
you're leading the the line down with your rod, your your pole, and the line's really upstream. It really gives you a better feel for the bottom and a better feel for the strike on the fish. Um, so that's all new for me, but it it's taught me a lot about when the fish hits or takes that fly, you feel it and you you see it in the line you don't really feel it you feel it later um but you're getting you're getting better technique and for me i would always see a strike indicator and you see the strike indicator take off and then you would set the hook now i'm setting the hook every time that line hesitates and I'm landing more fish. I'm I'm feeling better about how I fish. Yeah, I I would say you're definitely uh, catching more fish as well. I I, I do know because we had that conversation probably a week ago. It's funny you you and I talked about it. Garrett talked to me about it, and our my buddy Dom, he is getting into fly fishing. He asked me the same thing. He's like, man, I'm just not fueling the bites. And, uh, you know, I had to have that, that kind of, let's, let's talk about this because I don't feel shit as far as bites. It's all about, I, I can't say I don't feel shit, but if I'm being completely honest, I do feel some bites, but 90% of the time I am just watching that leader when it stops. And that's when I'm sent the hook. And Bob, I know you and I have fished together quite a few times and I'll, I'll sit back and watch you fish and you'll probably hear me yell, like set the hook set the hook <laughs> you know because i'm so used to staring at that leader and it's and it's new for you so you're not you know you're maybe waiting for the feel or something like that but uh well you were doing it to me today whenever you showed me how to when you actually came down and were watching me not only were you telling me to get more line out of the water but every you're like set the hook set the hook and i'm like yeah was that really a bite like it could have been but i i think in that particular instance it was just a slower slower drift but yeah you're right like i wasn't i'm not used to watching line compared to strike indicator it's a lot more of a like uh you have subtle. to yeah very, very subtle. subtle and you have to know what you're looking at and and with time you'll learn like oh that was a fish or no that was a rock or like in your case like for me when i when i stepped up there i was that was my first time seeing that drift. So when I saw your line hesitate, I'm yelling at you, set the hook and you're not moving. However, you know, if I'm fishing that and it yeah. keeps stopping. At yeah. The same I told time, you, Bob, I'm like, this is where it slows down in this drift. And you're like, Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Then we're good. It's still, but, uh, but then I did try to show you for like a split second in that spot you were fishing. I'm like, I'm not going to fish this, but let me just show you what I do. Yeah. And uh this this is Bob to a T. I'm not gonna fish. I just wanna show you one cast and then boom, pulls out a three incher. <laughs> Nevertheless, well, it was still a fish. <laughs> it was a and, nice, and nice in Bob's mind it was probably a seven incher. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh allegedly I like to 
overestimate my uh, <laughs> my length. Oh yeah. <laughs> so let's go to the funnest moment of the night. Uh, so the funnest moment of the night is. Uh, I don't want you to tell the story. Right, you I tell think it. It'd be you funny tell. if I tell. Yeah, the story you tell the story because you if you story. tell it, you're going to look like a hero. So we're watching a giant fish keep rising underneath the bridge right at camp and it's raining and you know we're soaked and me and bob's father-in-law bob are sitting here having a bourbon drying out and bob just can't can't help himself has to run out underneath the bridge and and sure as shit he doesn't cast more than a couple times and we were seeing this big fish rise and he goes i got him i got him get the big net and his father-in-law you know has a hurt back he's leaning over in the truck and he makes makes him drag this giant net out and he's you know fighting this fish and he the rod's bent over and it's you know a minute or two and it starts coming in i look at him like that's not a big fish that's a average fish at best <laughs> he pulls it out and he's got it side hooked in the in the front gill and it's it's a 14 inch fish but you know i'm trying to convince bob how big it was how big did you actually think it was i thought it was 16 16 yeah. okay you're like that's 14 i'm like you're full of shit that's 16 and then this huge net that Gary's talking about is just a you know a normal fish pond net, but it has a tape on it. <laughs> no, it, it your was... words were "get the big net." We need the big net. <laughs> I was yelling that because <laughs> I didn't know I freaking snagged this fish. And when I set the hook, that thing took yeah. off, and no, I was I... like, "Holy shit!" I would think it. the same thing. Oh man! <laughs> so, just to elaborate. This fish was rising underneath the bridge, and I got underneath there, and it was just pitch black dark. I had no, I cast it in the general direction of where this fish was rising. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see my fly. And all of a sudden, I see a fish rise, and I set the hook, and that was it. It was on. Um, so either I was late on my hook set, or he literally took a fly or it took an actual insect that was right next to my fly because as soon as it rose I hooked I set the hook and when I landed it it was it was hooked in the side so it wasn't a, a, a true catch but if you've ever foul hooked a fish you can tell that a uh, a 14 inch wild brown trout will feel like a uh, pretty damn big fish when you first hook it so yeah, yeah we thought we had the huge one that we saw rise and it ended up just being a yeah the funny part inch. was too like a minute after you let it back in the water I got back up to the camp and I look and that giant one went up again and yeah, took another one <laughs> and Bob saw it too. And we're like, Oh, you didn't get the big yeah, one. <laughs> there, there he was. There's the big <laughs> one. That's the big one. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, yeah. That was an interesting way to catch a fish. Kind of blind, uh, blind cast, blind hook set. So anyway, but all in all it was a, it was a pretty damn good day on spring Creek, uh, with the rain and everything. Um, a lot of sulfur's coming off. The The crazy thing was I had a sulfur nymph on and a sulfur merger, and they uh, really didn't do much at all. We had, um, well, I can say that I did have about around six or seven fish hit my dry fly that I never, never hooked up with. But I think our flies are too big. I think we were using 16s and we should have been using 18s. 18s, yeah. The sulfurs that were coming off were pretty small. But even before the dry flies came off and we were nymphing, 
uh, I thought the sulfur emerger or the uh, sulfur nymph would have done well, and it didn't. Yeah, I was using an eighteen uh, dropper right. emerger off my dry, and I didn't have one fish hit it. So I'll, I guess I'll talk about the setup real quick on what we're fishing. Yeah, so, talk about the tandem sulfur emerger. Yeah. So before that, I'll just talk about the nymphs. What we did before we even got to the dry fly. So with the nymphs, um, I typically run a tandem rig and i will run you know one fly and i'll tie a piece of tippet to the to the bend on the fly and then tie another fly off of that piece of tippet which is typically eight inches i like to go six to eight inches off the front fly um what i fish or or ties or flies that i tie that i will weight with uh, lead wrap before I time. So they're a little bit heavier than normal. So a lot of times here, especially Spring Creek, where, you know, we're running anywhere from two to five feet of water. Um, I won't, I rarely need a split shot. I will need split shot in deeper holes, but when I'm running two weighted flies, um, I typically don't need a split shot. I will put the heavier of the two flies. Uh, I try to put that on the bottom to kind of keep the whole system taut. Um, and today, so today what I ran was a uh, an olive scud that I tied with orange thread uh, because I had heard that, you know, when, when these scuds die, they kind of get an orange tint to them. So I put some orange thread on, uh, uh, used a tie. Obviously, it was lead wrap, so it was a little bit heavier and, and olive dubbing. And then I trailed that with numerous flies, but I think, you know, the first... 10 fish or 11 fish I hooked every single one was on the scud. I didn't catch anything on the second fly. So I kept switching that second fly, tried sulfur mergers, all kinds of things, uh, a paradigm or Spanish bullet, whatever you want to call it. Nothing worked. And then I went to just like a, a, a typical sow bug. Cause there's a lot of them out here. And then the sow bugs started producing. So we had two really effective flies. So, so at the end of the day, before we started fishing tries, my rig was an olive scud with the orange thread with about an eight inch dropper behind it, which was a sow bug. And that worked uh, pretty well. And you, Garrett, when you kind of went on your tear with the, um, with catching all those fish, you're using my rod, which, which fly were they hitting there? Did you have all seven of them that I landed were all of scud with the orange thread? Oh, they all hit the scud. Okay. With the orange thread. All right. Yeah. Which is crazy. Cause before I gave you my rod, that whole, the, I started catching, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I call them a crust bug. You call them sow, sow bug. bug. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I caught seven or eight in a row, and all of them hit the crest bug. So, um, kind of interesting, you know. That both of them, though, and Spring Creek, you flip over rocks, you're going to find those freshwater scrubs or shrimp and, and a lot of sow bugs or crest bugs, whatever you want to call them, uh, around here. So. When nothing's working, those are two very effective flies because they're in the water here every single day of the year. It's not like you got a, there's not a, a, a scud hatch or a mm-hmm. sow bug hatch. They're always here. Waltz so. worm, crest bug, and uh, all of scud are just go-to all, flies. Go-to all year long. Yeah. You Catch can, fish all the if, time. If there's a hatch going on, you can try to use uh, a nymph to match that hatch. And honestly, like there's been days where I know out here, the blue winged olives will come off and I'll have like a blue winged olive emerger 
and it's it's lights out. It's crazy, you know what I mean. But for the most part, when you have those three flies on this stream, yeah, uh, well, they why don't you talk really about well. this stream and how many fish are in here, and and just how and just how it works. There's no fish here, actually. You should <laughs> yeah. probably fish Bald Eagle Creek or Spruce Creek. That you know that one mile stretch, or or go poach the private section. Um, little J is great, you know, way more fish on the little J. Go fish a little J. There is no, there are no fish on Spring Creek. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't think we're keeping a secret from anyone because this place gets pounded. Yeah. Pounded like you wouldn't believe, but it doesn't matter. You're, you're never allowed to take any fish from this creek, so it's just... I would guess we were trying to estimate how many fish were between the 300 yards we fished today. And I would not think I'm going under on a thousand. There's that a, is the exact number that came to my head. If, if, there, <laughs> if there's a thousand fish, I would not. And it's, it's the whole way through the stream. I mean, we fished for, from three o'clock till dark and let's not talk about fish landed, just hookups where we know there were fish. Yeah, I hooked up at least 15 times. Yeah, I, I would played. say between the three of us, probably 50 fish. Like, just hooked, not landed. I know we didn't land. I yeah. Mean, I probably landed, I don't know, 15, 16. You, you guys probably landed somewhere. Three. Yeah. <laughs> Two or three. No, Bob, I watched you land at least five, and Garrett, you landed a bunch. I had one that almost hit me in the chest when I set the hook. It was a th <laughs> three-incher that just flew out of the water at me. Scared the shit out of me. That happened to me today too, man. <laughs> and that, and those seem to like slam the nymphs harder. Like they when do. I say I don't feel a bite, like those little like tiny little ones that that hit. They're like the few times Whoa. where I do feel a bite. I'm like, whoa! And I set the hook, and it just like sends it airborne. I actually like tried to net the one, and it fell through the holes in my net. I'm like, are you kidding me? So, yeah, there are, there are a lot of fish here. And it's wild. It's, it's crazy, too, because we had, like, those guys that just left with spinning rods. And they're like, yeah, no, I missed one, and, and my dad missed one. It's like, you know, these things are so in tune with the insects, and I feel they like... They are. It's it's all about that. If they walk out of the water and you feel like, oh, that fisherman just boogered that hole up, not at all. You give it 10 minutes, you can go right back in there and just start fishing. It's the same same as it is. I mean, they get hammered all the time by fishermen, and it doesn't seem to bother them. Yeah, and uh, I would say, I don't know about live bait. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw live bait into the equation, but I would say just with the pressure, but also with the insect life. I mean, the insect life is truly, I would say, what the vast majority of their diet consists of. Um, fly fishing seems to produce the best results again i don't know about live bait i've never fished live bait here and i don't know anyone who has so uh i can't speak on that but for the most part it seems like fly fishing is the way to go to be productive on this stream yeah i think so um i do know one guy that comes down and flips has a fly rod and flips minis through and does very well but it also i think is a little bit harder on the fish Fly fishing seems to be very, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt the fish if you just hook them with a t 16 hook in the lip. There's a picture up here in the camp we're sitting in of uh, Spring Creek in the 1970s. And it was as soon as, soon as it was uh, 
declared unpolluted and they were dumping fish in. And the picture shows at least 1,500. That's what the caption says. Is that what it says? I read it. (laughs) So you can see 1,500 fishermen in this one picture. Shoulder to shoulder. Literally elbow to elbow. Like if you moved your elbows, you're going to hit another fisherman. And uh, it's, you know, it's came a long way. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think fly fishing has over the years. So I started fly fishing, I don't know, um, 1990. No, my son. Yes. Yeah. Cameron. Yes. Me. I was probably 15 or 14. I was in high school. Um, and we would come up here and fish. And it wouldn't be all that crazy. Like, you might see one or two other fishermen. Even my freshman year of college. You think so? 2000. Yeah, I would go. So, I went to school here. So, I would go to Benner Spring. I would park up there and fish. There might be two or three cars in the the parking lot. And we would fish. I'd fish there. At that point, the section between Benner and the Fisherman's Paradise was all private. was the Rockwell Prison. They didn't allow people to fish there Rockview, yeah yeah Rockview, yeah whether we we fish there or not that's a different story but it wasn't allowed um wasn't allowed yeah in quotes but uh (laughs) the only time i saw a packed here is i think it was my junior year we had a shit ton of rain and the benner spring hatchery overflowed oh yeah all the trout i remember that and I and I didn't know that that happened. I'm just driving in like I normally do to go fish, and I can't find like there are par- cars parked all the way up Shiloh Road, like to the top. I'm like, what is going on? And then I talked to some guy. They're like, the hatchery flooded. <laughs> Both just- hat there's two hatcheries on this stream. <laughs> Both of them flooded, and it put like three hundred thousand fish into the stream, and they were all small rainbows into a fish or into a stream full of wild brown trout. So all that did was give all those brown trout two years to eat all those small rainbows. I will, and they got huge. There was a there were some banner years after the hatchery flooded with huge brown trout because of all the rainbow trout that they swallowed up. Yeah, I will never forget well, I actually uh right below Benner Spring, I hooked in the I don't know. I would say 18 inches, but you say I overmeasure, so let's just call it 15 inches. Like a Palomino that got out of there that I hooked on a on a fly. And like five minutes later, I caught an actual little brown trout. And as I'm reeling it in, this giant brown just comes and grabs it, like perpendicular. I'm like, holy shit. He couldn't actually get the whole trout in its mouth because it was like going from the side. But I like pulled the little fish out and I saw exactly where this brown trout went. And it was it was uh, probably like this time or maybe a little bit later, June. And it was right along the bank, right below me. And it just kind of went into that current and was kind of steady staying in that current. So I threw the trout that I had caught off. And I guess they were just so used to eating other trout. But all I had on a dry elk hair caddis. And it was literally like 10 yards down straight below me. So I just dropped it in and just kept feeding line at it. I'm like, I don't know if I put a caddis over its head. Maybe it's hungry enough to eat it. And no shit, that thing came up and <laughs> took the caddis and I caught it. And to the day, that's still the biggest brown trout I've ever caught. And I would have never even known he was there. It was like in, uh, yeah. you know, 
eight inches of water, but I just saw it like attack the trout I was fishing for or reeling in. And it went and sat in this like shallow ass pool and I, uh, and I caught it, but you know, that, uh, that's when the hatchery flooded and those things were on full predatory mode, just crushing fish. But that's the only time I saw a pack, but now I don't know if it's COVID or if I, I do think just I think COVID has a huge impact on how many fishermen are on the Creek right now. Yeah. Because nobody in State College is working, and they're all down here pounding in the creek. That's true. I guess it's, it's primarily university-driven, right? So this is a college town, and the college is closed. So that, that does make sense. But um, I will say I do think in general, though, fly fishing is, I don't know, it, it seems to be way more popular now. It seems to be a lot more people doing it. Maybe not. I don't know. But when I look back at my freshman year of undergrad and then when i came back you know seven years later went to grad school it just seems like there's a lot more fishermen which is a bad thing when you're selfish and you just want the whole stream to yourself but when you look at the big picture it's actually not a bad thing at all yeah and it is I like i don't like other fishermen but on spring creek here i don't think it impedes your ability to catch fish at all not at all we we watched I don't know how many fishermen come out of the section that we fished before we even got there. Yeah. And we still went through there and, and, and caught a bunch of fish. So, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think so at all. Yeah. Why don't you talk about what you're doing tomorrow? Tomorrow. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. I don't know. If, I don't know if I, I don't know if it's legal. <laughs> now tomorrow we, uh, we got a drift boat and uh we're gonna drift the uh, little juniata river tomorrow so that was the main plan um trying to trying to search some new waters and, and check out some new areas and and it's funny because you and i i talked to you the other day i was like man we went to school here we spent i don't know five days a week on trout streams uh and those probably seven days a week at a bar in downtown state college and we never really ventured outside of this little area, like Spring Creek. We would always fish Spring Creek, and and uh, we were talking about, like, why didn't we really... We went to Penn's Creek a couple times, maybe once, actually. I should say a couple times once. Um, I know That's I went, a funny story. I went to Fishing Creek, fished Black <laughs> Machanon. I fished a little jay once. But I'm like, why didn't we, like, do more of that exploring? And then today kind of answered that question because the fishing here is just good it is it's close it was close it was a five minute ride yeah five minute ride from campus we come down here we catch a lot of fish so i don't know but yeah we're gonna go give the little jay a whirl on a drift boat i've never actually used the drift boat i just got it so uh trial by fire i know the lot of the little jay is private so there's not like boat launches and all that stuff so i uh I mounted a winch to my trailer because I'm guessing I'm just going to have to winch this thing up off some banks somewhere because there's no boat launches. So we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, we're going to kind of put in where Spruce Run dumps into the little J and uh, drift down from there. So no idea what to expect, but I'm excited. Yeah, I'm I, I'm, I'm excited to hear what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, I I uh I fished a little J once and I've never caught shit on it, but that was like 16 years ago and I think I fished it for about an hour. So uh I'm I'm pretty pumped to uh I don't know, I just like fishing new water now. You know what I mean? I do like exploring 
Bob and I will go try different trout streams in, uh, in New Jersey. We went up to the west branch of the Delaware, and that's kind of why we got the drift boat because that was a phenomenal trip, just like sight fishing for big browns, eating dry flies. And uh, an opportunity arose where, you know, uh, a friend of mine's father-in-law had this drift boat, and we all kind of partnered it on it and uh, and got it. So we'll see what happens, see how it goes, but I'm excited. Yeah, I wish you the best. Well, I appreciate it. And a big thanks to Garrett's uncle, Dave Thomas, not the founder of Wendy's, but a different Dave Thomas, who uh, who let us stay in his cabin here right on Spring Creek, which is one hell of a spot. And uh beautiful cabin, great place to be. And uh, I wish he was here because I'm sure he would have a ton of amazing stories to talk about. What do you guys got? Anything else? It's been a pretty, pretty awesome day fishing. Bottle of Angel's Envy is almost done. That is true. We should, uh, we'll finish this on the mic. What do you say? Go ahead, Bob. Put it down. On the mic. Oh, and, and a special thanks to uh, to Bob Windish for cooking us an amazing dinner. What do we have oh, today? How about it? What was that? Those were. Portobello mushrooms. Portobellas. Asparagus. Asparagus. Yep. And some. Uh, London broil. Is that what that was? London broil. On the grill. Delicious. Unreal. Unreal. What a day. So, anyway, that is all we got. Any closing thoughts? You got anything to add, Garrett? Nope. What are you drinking now? Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze IPA. How's that? Good. How would you rank it compared to the profit? Cheaper. Taste wise. Cheaper. Cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> you're also you're all it's at like the bush at the same time he's drinking a bush light. So. Yeah, I had a bush light in there. I like to get some hydration in me. There you go. <laughs> so one water, one That's right. Alright, everyone. That is uh all we got in the meantime. Listen, if you're high sticking, keep the line taut, run a tandem, olive scud, sow bug, great combo, catch some fish, and uh, we will be back for another podcast soon, hopefully. Stay healthy, stay COVID free. Mm-hmm.